What a treat, listeners. I've got an interview with director John Spira, who brought us Anyone Can Play Guitar, a documentary exploring 30 specific years of the Oxford music scene, which produced amazing bands like Radiohead, but also all the bands you may not have heard of before and the sort of ups and downs of their careers and why that period was so special. And also director of Elstree 1976, which took a sort of in-depth personal look at some of the extras or bit part actors in the original Star Wars in 1977 and the way that the sort of ridiculous success of Star Wars that no one really foresaw coming has impacted their lives for better or for worse, and in particular, their involvement on the convention circuit. He's a charming guy. It was very generous of him to give uh, me so much time, and we chatted for an hour uh, down there in central London, covering all sorts of things, not just Star Wars The Last Jedi, but the film industry in general, some of his own personal thoughts. I had a great time. I hope you really enjoy listening to it and check out his stuff and get in touch. Send your thoughts on anything that we cover to superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter. And John, if you're listening, thanks so much for joining us. Listeners, it's a real pleasure uh, not just to be with someone, a special guest for this particular part of the podcast, but to be meeting him in such an exclusive location. Because, I mean, this is the kind of area that I, little me, would have no access to. <laughs> but John Spira, director of Anyone Can Play Guitar and Elstree 1976, you're the man with a golden ticket who's got us into this extraordinary uh, venue. <laughs> well, we're in the Picture House Central Members Bar. Oh, you bet we are. But not just the Members Bar. What do you call this? The turret room? This is the little turret room, yeah. There's a little hideaway which has got kind of little round room and we're kind of high up above Leicester Square and Piccadilly Circus. And I feel like I'm on, yeah. uh, I don't know, one of the BBC news programmes. I, I feel, in fact, in some ways I feel like I ought to have a bulletin to present to you, John. Laurie, you are only, I think, £60 a year away from, from <laughs> being able to access this too. Like, oh, imagine. Just imagine. It's very easy to be a member at Picture House Central. Uh, but it is nice. It's a very nice place to be. Now, uh, listeners, I've invited John onto the show because I happen to see a few of his thoughts on Star Wars The Last Jedi on Twitter. And this is a part of our big Star Wars email special where we're going to look back at, well, whether opinion has changed since the film's release and some of your own uh, emails and tweets. And I think Phil and I will probably already discuss those at this point in the show. Uh, but why don't we start with Elstree 1976? Uh, well, it's a documentary uh, which is about... Ten people who were all in the original Star Wars, which people now call A New Hope, uh, the 1977 one. Uh, so they were all... The remit for the interviews was that they had to have been in that first film and they had to have had their face obscured by a mask or a helmet. Ah. So they all... they they Some of them are, are proper extras. So one of them, you can literally just see the back of his head in the film in <laughs> one shot. And then it goes all the way up to kind of Darth Vader and Boba Fett, the guys who had the, the helmets on. Um, I mean, Boba Fett, he's in Empire Strikes Back, which people keep pointing out and I know that <laughs> we bring him in later in the film as more of a kind of like a, a kind of a commentator on the kind of convention scene but basically it's following these these kind of nine people uh, who who worked on the original Star Wars film when it was just a hokey little American film that everyone thought was going to be rubbish and they had a very small role in it all of them so some of them are actors we, we've got uh Anthony Forrest, who was the stormtrooper, who said uh, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Yeah. Angus McInnes, who was one of the X-wing, where well, he was a Y-wing pilot. Um, but they're people who just had you know a couple of lines at most and were extras at the kind of least. Um, very small part of, of, of a big film and a big universe. And the film is about how being associated with Star Wars in the most 
tiny, tiny possible way has gone on to shape their lives. And yeah. that's what the film's about. The film's about being in the shadow of kind of a pop culture phenomenon and whether you kind of collapse under the weight of that, which some of them have, or you try and stand on the shoulders of that. Um, and, and all of them, to some degree, Star Wars still affects them. And this is something that they did for one day 40 years ago. Right. And that's what the documentary's about. And I admit, listen, it is, it's really fascinating. I enjoyed it. And I think your approach to it is quite novel. I've seen people do things following uh, similar sort of cast members in the past, but you've yeah. taken such a personal and sort of small-scale approach yeah. that really investigate the lives of these guys before as well. I enjoyed Absolutely. seeing where they all came from. And it is fascinating. Like Boba Fett, is that Jeremy Bullock? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, Jeremy. And then uh, what, was the, what was the Wyoming gold leader guy's yeah, name? Angus. Anthony. Yeah, Ang- Angus. Angus. Yeah. Because uh, it was interesting you say a part of the stipulation was that they had to have a mask on because he goes into some detail towards the end explaining how there's a hierarchy between all these guys and I, that was really interesting to me because of the convention yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's not just shaped their lives in terms of money or notoriety or whatever but it has created its own exceptionally exclusive subculture totally and and that's what you know I mean that's one of the fascinating things about it is that Jeremy and, and, and Dave who played Darth Vader yeah they make uh tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of pounds a year selling their autograph and arguably out of everyone who was in it they do the least I mean if you think about Jeremy's I don't take anything away from Jeremy he's a great actor and he's had a good career really good interesting career but he if you think about Boba Fett in the Star Wars films it's not a stretch to say anyone could have done that he stands (laughs) still mainly he stands still and he walks Darth Vader you know Dave Prowse People give him a lot of credit for the performance, which is which is great. You know, he, he's done some great stuff. But there were other people in there when it was doing the fights. Yeah, there were other people in there where he was doing stunts. You know, th- they were just wearing a helmet. Essentially, well, I don't want to I don't want to denigrate them in that way. I don't want to be that reductive. But the point is that that you know, the, the, it's the costumes which are popular. It's the costumes which are doing this stuff. And they had the good fortune to be handed that costume, which Jeremy says in the film. He says he you does. Know, yeah, he acknowledges that fully. It was, I was lucky. You know, I got handed that thing on that day. So it's really interesting to see that hierarchy kind of develop. And, well, and, and this is one of the things that makes you such a good commentator on Star Wars The Last Jedi, because you've met some of these guys, where you say, you know, they were involved in it, but it's not necessarily them that the fans love. Yeah. It's not just the costumes, perhaps, either. It's what the fans invest in those costumes Absolutely. and those figures, the identities, uh, the galaxy, the escapism, everything that Star Wars has come to represent for people. And there's no more sort of powerful... Uh, proof of how serious that is than the convention circuit and, yeah. and these odd stories. So I, I'm really glad that we got your insights <laughs> on The Last Jedi because there's been a lot of talk around how fan culture not only influenced perhaps the development of Star Wars The Last Jedi but how it's influenced the sort of ratings it's getting yeah. and perhaps it holds the key to unlock what many people seem to think is the mystery of the massive divide between the critical appraisal of the film and the public perception of the film. Uh, do you want to? Do you have anything immediately to? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got. I've got a big theory about about the Last Jedi, which is a film that I didn't really like. I, I see it as as a blank white wall. I think Last Jedi might be the most perfectly mediocre film ever made. Wow. I think it is neither good nor bad, but I think that everyone. It's like a wall. Everyone projects on it. And, and reading all of the stuff online, reading all of the reviews where you have some people violently saying, this is like a pile of crap. And then you have other people saying, this is a work of genius. And there's so much kind of passion invested in it. that and, and reading, you know, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues who are into film in a big way. So I'm, I'm, I'm watching these conversations. I'm not really taking part in them, but I'm watching them. And it's like how, how violently, like, 
these people disagree and how different their reactions are. I just ended up just thinking it's nothing. It's like it's a weird avatar. It's something which people are projecting onto, and and I don't. It, I've never seen a kind of phenomenon like it really like it's really really confusing everyone is seeing something completely different in it it's fascinating so I kind of think there's nothing there I think I kind of feel like you've got this mediocre film I I think it's it's this whole thing is interesting to me like the 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 new Star Wars films like the project of, of making new Star Wars films is fascinating to me because it might be the most most overtly commercial thing that has ever happened in film now that is interesting because there's plenty around in cinema at the moment you might say it's even more overtly commercial like Marvel for example but that was a punt like Marvel the Marvel thing has happened kind of naturally and even they didn't expect the the success that they've had they really didn't and they tested the water a bit with that first Hulk film with the Iron Man film I remember them and, mm. and, and they were good films and, you know they were solid films and they've built this universe kind of very cleverly and very carefully and, and you know everyone's going to have their opinions as to that universe you know I'm not thrilled that it has taken it's taken so much of the kind of um, of the holiday seasons when these films come out kind of in the summer and in, and in the winter you used to get such a wide range of blockbusters and now you really don't you get the franchises you get a new Star Wars you get a new Marvel you get a new Transformers yeah seriously and and it's and, and also all the new stuff that comes in is people trying to build a new franchise so I, you know I'm not a huge fan of them but that's that's by the my opinion doesn't matter that's that's kind of by the by but with with Marvel and with Transformers with all these other ones they, they were there was an element of kind of taking a punt to kind of get to where they've got to. Star Wars was never a punt. Okay. Star Wars was was like they knew it was never going to be a punt making a new Star Wars film. And I view it in a in a, in a very kind of cynical way for for a variety of reasons. Firstly, George Lucas has no involvement, and they made it kind of clear that they didn't want him involved. It was a, it was a complete buyout for all of those intervening years between the old Star Wars films and the new ones. The, the stars, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, all said they would never want to do a yeah. sequel. They wouldn't want to do it. So you know that Disney found their price. It found everyone's price. That's what it was. Disney bought Lucasfilm specifically to make these new films. George Lucas wasn't going to be involved. He wasn't allowed to be involved. He's said some pretty telling things in yeah, the press he has. since those things. And he's had no... I think he was around when Force Awakens came out, but he's not been involved in any publicity since and he doesn't appear to be doing interviews about them he'll answer questions if he's asked but he's not part of that machine and for me the most telling sign that I should be worried about it was when they hired J.J. Abrams really? oh I mean I think he's like I think he's very good at what he does but I think he's a hack I think he's he's I don't like saying mean (laughs) things about people but like but I mean just kind of culturally he ruined TV. I mean, like with he, loss, you mean? Yeah, I mean, we're still dealing with that now. Like, you don't all every TV show now is is about about giving you cliffhanger endings to every single episode, yeah. about sustaining you to watch twenty three episodes or something, and then giving you a bigger cliffhanger at the end. And then all of these shows tend to have. I mean, I'm being quite general, but they they have these. You know, there'll be two series where they're not doing anything because yeah, yeah. there's no overarching reason or story. I applaud J.J. Abrams. I think he's technically brilliant. And what he's good at doing is getting you through a story. He can tell a story in the most edge-of-your-seat way. But once the story's told, you look back and go, oh, that wasn't a very good story. I just enjoyed 
the experience of wow. it unfolding. Which is kind of what you want, I guess, if you're doing a commercial version of Star Wars. If he, I mean, yeah, I mean, like he, he, you know, I think, I think he can, he can, like with the Jedi mind trick, he can fool some feeble minds. <laughs> and I was upset they brought him in also because he'd done Star Trek and it's just like how unimaginative yeah. are you going to be about I mean like how much of a safe pair of hands are you talking about the guy's just done Star Trek and now he does Star Wars as well like yeah. that's so dull that's such dull kind of thinking and um, and you know what The Force Awakens I enjoyed I, I was surprised that I enjoyed it and I enjoyed it when I watched it and when it was finished I was kind of like uh, you know whatever fine you know and I watched it a couple more times when it came out on Blu-ray and I thought it's enjoyable I can't fault him on that it's enjoyable and I don't know what it's doing yeah okay the things that I loved about The Force Awakens and I mean loved is that you had a young woman and a young black man in the leads I can't even tell you the joy that gave me and also you know a Mexican actor with with, with, um, Oscar Isaacs I loved that. I thought that was the most transgressive and progressive thing that has happened in popular mainstream popcorn cinema ever. You think you give it that high? Ever, really? Oh my god! It was, and it shouldn't be. It's embarrassing to have to say that. How transgressive to put a black man and a girl as the lead figures? How it's embarrassing that that's transgressive. I loved it. I loved the responses that people had. It made so many people angry about it. Yeah, I know. And I thought that was great. I thought that was really brave. So I, I was on side with it. I knew it was this kind of cynical thing, but like, I was like, well, it's good that they're doing these things. It's good that they're doing that. And then when they said that Ryan Johnson was going to be writing and directing it. Hugely excited. And Looper Brick. Yeah. What, you love his films? Oh, I love his films. I mean, he's an amazing filmmaker. And I also, I, I, I have a deep love for his uh, his girlfriend, Karina Longworth, who does the podcast You Must Remember This, which oh, is yeah, the right. best film podcast. Yeah, well, oh, the best. Right. Yeah. Well, sorry. So, <laughs> one, of, one of the best. It is very, no, no, it's excellent. But, and it's, it's doing a very it. different thing. But it oh, it's completely brilliant. different. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not critical. It's nothing. You know, it's, it's telling stories from old Hollywood. But I kind of also think that, you know, as soon as I heard he was doing it, I was just like, oh, and he'll get to talk to her about it. So it'll be yeah. this kind of really cool thing. And then Rogue One came in and, and kind of, you know, I thought that was just a terrible film. I, I didn't it was, like it either, no. It was a crap. I mean, there was nothing. It was, it was just rubbish. And it was, uh, I mean, I shouldn't just say that. I shouldn't be that dismissive. But, but I didn't like it because I felt that, like, they made this big thing about it being the first standalone film. Yeah. And then it didn't stand alone. It tied directly into the end of Star Wars. In minutes, even. And, yeah. And I came out of the cinema and everyone was like, oh my God, did you see that Darth Vader sequence was the best <laughs> thing ever? And I'm just like, you know what? You should go and watch Rogue One and you should watch Star Wars right after it. Because he calmed down a lot when that door opened. I know, right, yeah. He doesn't get his lightsaber out again. You've never seen him <laughs> acting like that. They employed, no. they employed some, I don't know who was playing him, some martial arts guy. Yeah. You've never seen him act like that. And then you're supposed to believe he just steps into Star Wars and then does this very kind of stoic kind of like yeah and it made me so angry I really like and I don't get to invest in this stuff but that Rogue One made me angry because it was a bad film but what it did and again it's the cynicism that upsets me but what that film did was it it gave the fanboys everything they wanted. Well, or at least what people thought. What they thought they, they wanted. wanted. Well, yeah. I think I think a lot of them were very happy with it. You know, they were just like, "Great, it's like a war film, but it's Star Wars." And yeah, Star Wars that's universe. the comments we we kept getting. We had to do yeah. an email special on Rogue One, and right. our listeners will be getting deja vu here because you were echoing what uh, we said right. as our opinion, but everyone disagreed with us and said, "Come on, guys, you know, it's a war film, but in the Star Wars universe." And you know, and I, I to, to, from my point of view, I did see it again, and I liked it 
slightly more, but I still didn't like it yeah. the second time round. And I can see how, for me, that was the moment where the curtain began to part, and I felt I was seeing what is happening to Star Wars, which is it is it's moving, it is going through a transition. Yeah. The market is changing, the fan base is changing. Oh, completely. That was it, and it was that film that really started making that happen for me. And yeah. it sounds like that's similar to you because then we got the Last oh, Jedi. I think so yeah, yeah, and the Last Jedi. You know, I mean, well, the other thing I want to say about Rogue One that's interesting about it is it started this trend which they've now had m- more problems with in in, uh, in, uh, in the Han Solo film that they're making mm. of removing directors and, yeah and, uh, Gareth Edwards I like I don't know if I, I still don't know the full story but from what I understand and from what I've heard kind of like industry wise rumour wise you know he he was no longer making it by the end of it they bought someone Tony else Gilroy. in yeah. is that who it was Tony well he, he came in to do a script update but I think he directed a lot right. of reshoots including I believe the Darth Vader scene that you were referring to right so you get to this point you go well why are you hiring Gareth Edwards and Ryan Johnson and stuff if, if there's going to be if you're not going to give them complete freedom and I don't know from what I've heard Ryan Johnson towed the line and certainly finished the film yeah. but it doesn't feel as coherent as anything he's ever done before No, and this is the thing I don't understand which is that everyone is saying to me oh it's Ryan Johnson and I'm so impressed that he's the writer and the director Disney gave him this film and he's committed to his vision and put something out there and the thing I just didn't I didn't get that vibe at all I thought I was watching a Disney film oh, and definitely. I, it's a Disney film and yeah. is it, have you heard some of the stuff that Ridley Scott has said recently and I think he's enjoying shooting his mouth off a little bit right. and you know he had every he, he was doing the press tours for all the money in the world and people asked him about that and he basically said it doesn't make any sense if you're Disney to hire these directors who are still fairly new yeah. because the reshoots costs millions and Disney are doing Why it because they, they want control doing it? Yeah. like it's so bizarre to me I mean they because they, they also they were going to have Colin Trevorrow and they, they fired him right but I yeah. never understood why Colin Trevorrow was even on Jurassic World like all these people Gareth Edwards who who Monsters is one of the a great debut wonderful you know? really wonderful but film. it's a low budget film which has huge script problems I think personally <laughs> it's my opinion I really enjoyed it but and you John know Spiro listeners it was, is a script writer so it, I'm know. not a script writer anymore <laughs> I was trained but I'm not a script writer anymore but, 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 it, but you know Monsters I thought was this it, it, it transcended its its roots and its genre. It was it was a it was a really commercial, wonderful indie film. And then he gets to make Godzilla. Yeah. And you're like, this film, he's this guy has never had a medium <laughs> budget. How is he going to deal with Godzilla? And everything I've, I mean, Godzilla was not a good film. I know? didn't like it myself. No, I th- I, I enjoyed the opening, which oh, felt small. Yeah, and yeah. at Brian Cranston, I thought, <laughs> wow, we're really into something good here. And then all of a sudden, the monster stuff started happening. And I thought, good, what's happened? What happened? That's you know, that, that's a that's a we could get lost on the Godzilla. <laughs> I just watched Shin Godzilla the other day. Oh man, I, I really want just, to see it. I hate it. Oh no, I was just, I'm saying awful things, but like. Shin Godzilla was like it was like someone had said so let's look at from a different angle like so Godzilla is is you know stomping all over Tokyo but let's look at it from the angle of county council meetings <laughs> and you just have these meetings the uh, whole film is meetings with the occasional kind of Godzilla that's bit, what I've always like, wondered about what goes on behind the scenes behind the closed doors yeah, I want to know sort this on a policy level <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know I want to know what the pen pushers are doing about this it was really weird so, 
I've ne- I didn't understand. I don't understand Gareth Edwards' kind of trajectory. I'm very happy for him, and I think he's a very creative guy. I think he's brilliant, and I don't want to denigrate him at all. I think he's yeah. amazing. Yeah. But I don't understand what, how he got to direct a Star Wars film. I don't understand how Ryan Johnson got to direct a Star Wars film. None of this stuff makes any sense to well, me. Well, you know what? If we're being cynical, my personal opinion on it, and I thought this as soon as Ryan Johnson was announced to have his own separate Star Wars trilogy yeah. before the release of The Last Jedi, uh, we talked about it on the podcast briefly, and my thought was great marketing from Disney because what that says to everybody is the film is going to be so amazing we've given him an entirely new trilogy yeah so you better make sure you go and see it and are they still doing that well exactly that's the whole thing they don't have to stick with Ryan Johnson they can sack him as soon as the film gets negative press and get rid of him that's I mean it's hugely manipulative I mean all this stuff is is horrible and hence why I think you know there's this drive at the moment and it's not just Disney it's Godzilla it's loads of films Jordan Vought Roberts did uh, Kong Skull Island of course but there's if you hire these uh, up and coming directors who are mercurial talents and things then the film community are all saying oh really they've gone with someone who got a really strong voice and it's really great talent I wonder how brave they're going to be and then you see it and the answer is as brave as they could be with studio strong arming yeah basically. I mean you almost it, the thing that's interesting about it is is that the power I mean the power has always been in producers hands to a degree to a large degree but it, it, film feels like it's becoming like advertising where yeah. the director's job is actually much more managerial it's much, you know and TV as well when you get those long running American TV shows seriously each yeah. episode has a different director or, or you know a team of directors directors but they're much more managerial and actually it's the producers and the writers who are doing the work and the cast to some degree and the director's job is just to make sure that things get shot and that's because the director they've got the artistic vision the producer has the focus groups has the data has the research has the money has the studio insight and if money is talking that's that's ultimately where it's going to be well you know there's a couple of things which leave kind of sour taste in the mouth about the Star Wars about the marketing angle of Star Wars the new films, and one of them is uh, is when the Force Awakens came out in, I think it might be China or Japan. On the poster, Finn is small. Yeah, you can compare the two posters, and it's like because black people aren't as popular there and it's like the fact that you would do that the fact that, that a producer that, that, that a studio would be prepared to change the artwork on something to reduce someone who's an ethnic minority is disgusting well, and, and in this day and age when they've got the internet and that stuff is not even going to stay hidden and they know that but they're totally. still happy for they're it still, to happen same thing happened with Luke was um, the massive looming figure on the British posters for The Last Jedi right. the huge face and then I believe in Japan I might be about to get this wrong it was Ray who occupied really? that position same thing happened again but in reverse it makes us look worse okay <laughs> It's interesting. That's. I mean, the, the other thing was also in Rogue One. I always forget names. Who's the guy, the the martial arts guy, who's in Rogue One? Uh, Donnie it's, Yen. Donnie Yen. Love that guy. So, I've heard a lot of talk because that was a nothing character. Yeah, yeah. They, they were basic those two together. They should go and have their own TV spinoff. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's huge in that part of the world. He's Absolutely. a huge star, and they put him in because all of the money is coming from like China now and Japan yeah. and stuff and and, and and the Far East. And and you know it's it's cynical to a point which is really upsetting, and with the original Star Wars films they may have well turned into this huge commercial thing, but they came from George Lucas's heart. Yeah, true. And they were turned down by all the studios until he finally kind of got it at Fox. But it came from it came from a man who had a story to tell. These new films come from a team of people who want to make a lot of money. So you've invested in something which was true at one point, but now to be invested in these new films. No one who's making them cares about them. I really feel that. I think it's cynical on everyone's part. They're being taken advantage of, you think? I think it's, I think they're manipulating the audience in a, in a horrendous way. And it's all about... I mean, we know that Hollywood is about making money and stuff, but, but 
you've always had a, a divide between the money people and the people with the creative vision. So what used to happen is that people with the creative vision would bring something to the money people, the money people would finance it, and they would put it out in the world to make money out of it. But now that kind of creative impulse is gone. Yeah. And I really, I feel that very strongly. And, and with the Marvel films and stuff, whatever, I think some of them are good. I think they're using creative directors in a better way, like with Thor Ragnarok. You know, at least they're, they're I really enjoyed of, that. Absolutely, you it was know. good. It felt like fresh. Finally, I, I don't know if really what changed. Rather see, his name's Waiki Taika Waititi. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you just rather he was given a budget to make a blockbuster which had nothing to do with Marvel? Well, yeah. I mean, I, unfortunately, listeners to the podcast will know that I'm not a big fan of Marvel films, kind right. of for the same reasons that you're expressing. And yeah, I'd love to see him take on an original project. And I mean, he's done Hunt for the Wilder People and wonderful. Uh, Film. Well, right, Boy, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and uh, what we do in shadows, and so exactly. yeah, I know it'll be interesting to see what he does next, and it may just be that it's the new equivalent of the degree for a, a filmmaker because you have to get a degree to but, get but into no that. But no new stuff's long. being made. There, there, there yeah. aren't new blockbusters being made. There's nothing original coming down the pike. King Arthur, it's Legend of the Sword, died <laughs> on its bottom. I, 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 actually, I think undeservedly. I thought it had major problems, but it certainly was original. I, will, I won't watch Charlie Hunnam and Guy Ritchie. I can't do that. It was quite something. But, but it's it. the thing that upsets me I always look at this on a kind of cultural level because I care about culture and I care about film culture mm. a lot and, and the thing which I find really strange is that you have got maybe the th- I think I think I'm right in saying the three big, biggest franchises in cinema at the moment you've got Marvel which is from Marvel Comics which are what 60, 70 years old that's right isn't now? it yeah so that was that generation that generation is, is now kind of in their, their I mean I guess it's my dad's generation they're in their kind of 70s now whatever you know that generation you've got Star Wars which was which was certainly I don't know how old you are but it's my generation I'm 40 and 41 so that's 40 years old and you've got Transformers which is maybe 10 years less than that maybe 30 years old what what have the kids got for themselves like yeah, why, why are they why are we giving them our crap you know like <laughs> it's it's really unfair and and part of the answer to that is because our generation is the first generation to be infantilized you know now that is i mean yes yeah that's a complex point and, and that's a worry yeah. i i went into sainsbury's the other day and they were selling darth vader t-shirts and if sainsbury's is selling Star Wars t-shirts for grown-ups. Mm. That's a problem. And I meet a lot of Star Wars fans, and I've met a lot of Star Wars fans in, in the process of Elstree 1976, and you know, I've yet to meet any horrible people, meet them. I've dealt with a lot of horrible people sure, with the fallout yeah. of Elstree 1976. I'm sure. Um, nothing has annoyed me more than dealing with a certain element of Star Wars fans. You can still love the original trilogy. You can still love George. I still love that stuff. I still love me George too. Lucas's vision. I haven't. I'm not a traitor to Star Wars because I think the new stuff is rubbish. Like I'm not a traitor to it, and I'm angry that people think I am, and I'm angry that people people have this loyalty to Star Wars, and it's just like it's not Star Wars anymore. Yeah, it's a corporate yeah. entity. It's not Star Wars. It's not what you fell in love with. And this is and it is fine if people enjoy it, like completely fine. But like I, I just. Wish I'd shut up. It's <laughs> <No. laughs> very succinct. I like that. <laughs> don't tell me about it. You know, enjoy well, it. Fine. Man. And this don't. is the thing that I think it does crystallise it because in the press there's been a lot of think pieces about why this is a problem. And one of the major things that's come out is 
that they think fans are disappointed and they, they look at fan theories on YouTube for example and I'm not someone who enjoys that stuff really I've never understood the point of the fan theory I know a lot of people get a lot of pleasure out of it just because it means they can explore and engage in a universe and sometimes it's fun to spend a long time using your mental faculties for something that you know at the end of the day is meaningless sure sometimes that can be enjoyable yeah. because if you're doing it the other way around it does mean something and it's draining but it's enjoyable if you know you're doing that yeah yeah that's right and they don't like, <laughs> they genuinely think there are hidden layers to this stuff they genuinely think there's something going on there's nothing going on I'm afraid I agree like, well, and that's why I think it makes even less sense for the press to say the reason that people hate the film is because they didn't get what they expected they developed a fan theory and they were disappointed that that wasn't in the film which I do think is patronising because I think there are you and I might not yeah. be on board with that kind of fan theory uh, development or, or, or thinking there's something here but I don't believe those fans want to see what they have come up with on the screen I think they just want it to be better in fact if anything I think they'd like nothing more than it to be different but interesting I, I feel that like good things are just good I mean I've had this discussion recently I'm trying to, I can't remember who I had it with but we were talking about um, you can't please everybody and there was that was kind of the discussion that we're having is you can't please everybody no matter what you do you can't please anybody always but there are things Empire Strikes Back when that came out was a film which even the people who had been quite dismissive of the original Star Wars film, the critics and stuff, um, it was a well-made film. You just yeah. couldn't deny it. It was well-written, it was well-directed, it was well-acted. And it was kind of, it was darker than it needed to be. And it was wonderful. And so, you know, you okay, to break away slightly, I used to teach in Oxford, I used to teach films. So I've taught film in different ways. And the most important thing that I always teach people, like the first lesson that I always give is like how I view critical theory. Which is a cross with four quadrants. And in those quadrants, you can write good, bad, like, dislike. And the only thing you have to be able to do to develop critical facilities is understand that just because you like something doesn't make it good. Mm. And just because you dislike something doesn't make it bad. And just because something is good doesn't mean you're going to like it. And just because something is bad doesn't mean you have to dislike it. So you can look at those as kind of separate things. An you're, example you're totally I, right about that, yeah. I, I quite I enjoyed Triple X Return of Xander Cage, and I know that's bad for a exactly. fact. Exactly. <laughs> it's fine. It shouldn't take away from it. And then, you know, the, the example that I always give to back it up is, is like McDonald's food. Right. And you can, you can look at that on a technical level, and you can say, you like it. And that's fine. You like it. It tastes great. You feel good when you have it. But anyone looking at nutrition will tell you that the food is bad food it's bad for you it's it's heavily fried or it's got kind of preservatives in it you know all these kind of things and that's a good way of looking at, at kind of other things you know so you can look at that divide between good bad and like and dislike you know it's fine to like a film but it's not fine to say it's a good film just because you like it nice and that okay. is something that gets very wound up in star wars you know people are unable to step aside and go I enjoyed it. I don't think it's a great film, but I enjoyed it. Empire Strikes Back, you might not like it, but it's legitimately a very well-made film. Same for Star Wars. And, you know, Return of the Jedi, I think, is, is the one which lets it down slightly. It's a less well-made film. I still like it yeah. a lot. You know, I still enjoy watching it. And that's the problem that, that, that we have here now, is, is that with these new Star Wars films, they're bad films. Like... There, there's so much in the script which doesn't make sense, yeah. which which is lazy and which, and which isn't covered, and the fan base has decided instead of saying, "Oh yeah, that's, that's bad," they've said, "No, there must be something else there." Yeah. I, I also the other thing that annoyed me 
was, and this will sound very strange to say, but it's very odd that they didn't kill Carrie Fisher. Because the one yeah. bit of information that everyone had going into this film was she has died. Sadly, Carrie Fisher has died, so Princess Leia presumably can't really go on. And I felt the moment where they blew the ship up... That was the moment, right? I, well, I thought they were like t- like teasing the audience with her death by kind of going like, yeah, you thought she was going to die? She's not. She's going to float no back good. in a bubble. Ugh. It was like, I felt like the director was having a joke about our preconceptions because the one thing we knew going in is that she, she probably wasn't going to make it to the end of the film. I felt like they kind of they used her actual death in real life as like leverage to make a kind of little little that's tasteless joke. stuff right there. I hadn't even thought I about that. I could be wrong, but like that, I, it left a very unsavory taste in my mouth because yeah. it was like it was like it was like a joke. And she finishes the film. It's like, well, what's going to happen with her now? Like off screen, isn't they, it? That, 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 they'll write her out in the opening crawl. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. So, yeah. Well, tell me, we, we we can round up very soon. And John, I'd like to know based on everything we talked about. Are you? What is your feeling about episode nine? If you have any at this point, oh, I'm quite. You know, it's it's funny. I I'm very disengaged with it all. It when I went to see um, the new one, The Last Jedi, I went with my dad. Like that's actually why I, the only thing I enjoy about these new Star Wars films is that I go with my dad. Yeah, like, I know what you he mean. Loves Star Wars. It's still an event. Isn't so it? Yeah. yeah, so so you know, he gets really excited. It's funny how like the tables are turned, but he gets very excited about them. You know. So we went to see it at the, at, on the opening day at the Science Museum, at the the, the, the IMAX screen at the Science Museum. Brilliant. And uh, there was a, they evacuated the entire building halfway through. Like, <laughs> sirens started going off, oh. and then they were like, leave the building immediately. And he kind of turned to me when we got outside, and he was like, should we just go? And Did I was he really like, say that? Oh, yeah. No, and I, and that's I was tragic. Kind of, and I was kind of like, I was like, if you want to go, yeah, we can, I don't care. Like, I don't think, it's not looking very good. And then he was like, oh, no, actually, let's stay. And we watched the rest of it, and he said, yeah, that wasn't really good. You know? well, that's really and sad. Like, so I think I'll still go to them. And I think I'll still go to them in the cinema, which is a weird thing to say, because I have, I'm kind of against them, you know. And it's fine. It's Star Wars, John Williams. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm witnessing like, this as a man who <laughs> is sort of deflating, and yet there, I can still see a seed of, well, you never know. The less I know, talk to myself about it, I think I could the have better left, chance. No, I think I could have. I think I think I could have happily left it. The problem is that it's this this all-consuming discourse around it yeah. is is that it means if I didn't see it, it would be even more annoying because my Facebook feed would still be full of it yeah. and Twitter would still be full of it and because I stupidly went out and made Elf Street 1976 people would still be asking me about it sorry we're one of so, those no, people <laughs> I'm joking like, but it's, it's, it's and I do enjoy talking about it but, but you know I think the reason I I mean the only level of investment I still have in, Star, in, in the new Star Wars is uh, is not falling behind in conversation you know it's, it's more to do with that and who knows uh, you know what they got Ron Howard in to the new not to the Han next Solo. one for the Han Solo yeah. and Ron Howard is a great director who I don't think has ever made a bad film and he's one of those great journeyman directors from that period like Richard Donner and those those great Robert Wise those great directors who could just make a good film in any genre because they were just good directors so I think Ron Howard could turn in a decent film I'm intrigued I'm intrigued by that, so I'll watch it. I will, if they make this Boba Fett film, I'll go and see it because I know Jeremy and I like Jeremy, yeah. and hopefully they'll be respectful to him and give him some kind of part in it or something like that if he's still operational at that point. 
But yeah, I don't know. Star Wars. Star Wars, Star Wars. What are you going to do? It's Star Wars, isn't it? That's, it, that's quite an appropriate way to <laughs> close off the Star Wars discussion, I have to admit. But now, give it, now let's leave with something really super positive, okay. John, because we're really interested to see what you do next. Anyone can sure. play guitar, L3, 1996. Both just interesting productions that perhaps go in different directions than people expect. So you've got a chance to give us your version of what to expect from you. <laughs> well, after saying all of that, uh, no, the, the, <laughs> I mean we're working on a follow-up to Elstree '76 at the moment. Brilliant. Uh, which focuses. I mean, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be. It's it's a follow-up in a kind of thematic sense more than anything else. Okay. Um, and this one is about stunt performers. Uh, from from that era, so stunt performers of the seventies and the eighties, uh, and, and well, they're all still working in their seventies themselves. You're they're kidding? All still no working. way! No, they still do it. They That's still incredible! Do it. Isn't yeah, it? Wow. yeah. So we've interviewed Vic Armstrong, who's like the most famous stuntman of all time. He was uh, Harrison Ford's double for Indiana Jones, and he was Superman, and he was James Bond. They've all been James Bond. Every That's British stuntman has been James Bond. <laughs> but we've been out and about, kind of interviewing these amazing guys. One of them, uh, Doug, was. Uh, 92 years old he was one of the Argonauts in Jason and the Argonauts surely he's still so, he's not still going he still wants to be making doing stunts I... he's not <laughs> but one of the things he said was in the interview was how much he'd love to, to, I love this, to do it because again. when you hear so. about stuntmen and, and ladies that you think there's a career that's probably only got about 10 years of life like a professional footballer uh, no, but apparently not not. not not at all they're all still doing it they're all still doing it, it late in life um but I wanted to tell another story. One of the things that interests me... I mean, I made Anyone Could Play Guitar, which was the Oxford music film. So one of the things that interests me is communities of people, but particularly communities of people who are somewhat in the shade of something bigger. So, okay, yeah, at the edge of the lamplight. Sort of yeah, thing. definitely. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, on the edge of pop culture, pop culture, I find that really interesting. So Anyone Could Play Guitar was... You know, I think people went to see it because it, it looks like it's a film about Radiohead and Supergrass and Foles and all these bands, which it is to a degree. But you get candy skins. But you get the candy skins. You get yeah. dive dive. You know, you get you get youth movies. It's it's kind of it's it's about the kind of being what it feels to be in the shadow of that. So I, uh, that's always going to interest me in my documentaries. I pretend not so. to be offended that you didn't come and ask uh, about a, a band that had one gig at the Jericho Tavern. Which band was it? Drake's Drum. Had a really oh good uh, rhythm guitar player, songwriter. <laughs> you know, well, there we go. We'll just have to let that one slide by. That'll be the next person. I'm sure it will. That'll be the next person's <laughs> job. But, um, yeah. It, so it, the, it'll never happen. <laughs> I never know. Someone said, like, someone did say you should make a new, you should make a follow-up to anyone who can play guitar because it's now essentially... I mean, it's, God, what is it? Seven, eight years since I did it, um, and I was just like, no, it's someone else's job. Like, there's always been generations of documentarians in the Oxford music scene, and that was my my little moment. And now, God knows who's doing it. But yeah, so I'm interested in, in, in this aspect of communities, and the stunt community is a fascinating one. And that era is really interesting. Brilliant. So, so that's that's probably what's going to come next. Have your working that. title or not? Working titles actually 1979, but I don't know if it's still going to be cool that by the end of it. That's just, but that is just the working title. Well, so we'll keep know. our eyes peeled. Cool. And, uh, yeah, be excited to see what, yeah, where we go with that one. John Spear, thank you so much for chatting with us about everything. We managed to cover a huge range of topics right there. And, well, I, honestly, right now I'm thinking about it, and I'm not quite sure how we're going to build this in. I might chop up some <laughs> of the bits and put them in the Star Wars show, but then I think we've had a wide ranging discussion that's interesting. So maybe we'll put the whole thing out there. Who knows? whatever you want with it I'll let you know what we do and thank you so much I'm going to reach over and try and shake and not bump our mic stands (laughs) there we go (laughs) brilliant thanks so much John Spira listeners that's J-O-N-S-P-I-R-A have a look at Anyone Can Play Guitar and Elstree 1976 really interesting thank you thank you